Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. In their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, men of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. As for those who are in the present age rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. This is the word of the Lord. Two weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal quoted one of the leading economists in our country as having said, Greed almost brought this nation to its knees a year ago, but greed will lead us home. Three or four months ago, I was in a supermarket one Saturday afternoon. I saw a young man whom I had performed wedding for about four or five years before. I walked over to him and spoke to him and said, how's the marriage going? He ducked his head and said, we're divorced. I said, really? What happened? And he said, we never got the money part right. I said, wait a second. The very first point I made to you in my counseling with you was about money. I told you that according to studies done in this country, the number one disagreement between husbands and wives is money. I even spent 20 minutes giving you handles for how to deal with this problem. And he said, I know, but we never got it right. Earlier this week, I was reading results of a survey done in 16 major countries of the world. You know how they do these surveys, of course. They don't interview everyone. They don't send out forms to everyone. But they try to send out forms to older ones and younger ones, male and female ones, various ethnic, racial groups, lots of education, not much or any education, rich, poor, in between. But in these 16 countries, 10 of them, when asked, what causes you more stress in your life than anything else, responded, money. Money. Many times with surveys, men and women give different answers. Not this time. Women and men said, it's money. Money is not a subject my favorite to preach about, but here it is in the Bible, the text appropriate for the day from the gospel, the Reverend Marianne Emmons read with you, and that was about money, the rich and the poor, and here from the epistle, it's about money. So let's take a look. I've underlined four things. Right there it says, 
The love of money is a root of many evil things. Last year, we and other countries of the world were plunged into the biggest recession since 1929. We have forgotten that a few years before, there were other real difficulties. The crash of the technology companies, the biggest bankruptcy ever in our history up to that point, 2001, Enron Corporation. Remember? Enron was the biggest company in this country ever to go bankrupt. Enron was a community citizen. They were givers to Houston Opera, Houston Ballet, Houston Live Theater. They got naming rights to the new baseball stadium there. It was Enron Field. Even sadder, three of the top four officers in the company were faithful, active United Methodists in Houston. Three out of four. The company went bankrupt because it was falsifying financial records. It was saying that it was making more money than it was. It was hiding debt. There were a number of different entities, cards stacked up, the debt of one being hidden in the report of another, the debt of that one being hidden in the report of another, and finally it all crashed down. You wonder how Europeans look at Americans? <clears throat> a British playwright has written a new play. It's called Enron. It's being staged in London right now. In this play, you have Ken Lay, the president of the company. You remember that he was found guilty. He was sentenced to prison just a few weeks before he was supposed to start serving time. He had a very sudden heart attack out in Colorado. He died. Jeff Skilling was perhaps not so fortunate. He didn't die. He's in prison now. Ken Lay is portrayed in the play as a good man who's clueless about what's going on. Jeff Skilling and the others are pulling the wool over his eyes. They are the really bad ones. And Jeff Skilling is portrayed in the play in one of those orange coveralls that they wear down in Texas prisons. I want you to hear one of his lines. It's an allusion to the greed of Wall Street, if you will. When we have a bull market, it's being driven by greed. And when we have a bear market, it's being driven by fear. Greed and fear, the two emotions of Wall Street. But there's also an allusion by this playwright to 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul is describing the many different gifts of the Spirit and finally concludes that of all the gifts of the Spirit, the three greatest ones are faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of them is love. We'll hear this coming from Jeff Skilling's mouth. Greed. Fear. Faith. Hope. Love. But the greatest of them all is money, he says. It's money. Number two, this text is not only for millionaires who want to be billionaires. This text is also for very poor people who are willing to do almost anything to have more. 
I've told you any number of times that I was only two months out of high school when I was appointed to be pastor of two little country churches. In both of those churches, I now had church members with whom I'd gone to high school. Both churches. Two months out, I'm their pastor. Um, at the bigger church, I had three. Uh, Martha Tiller had gone to high school with me. Jimmy Langston had gone to high school with me. Bubba Patterson had gone to high school with me. We were all graduated, same class. Two months later, I'm their pastor. At the smaller church, <clears throat> there were two girls in one family. One was two years younger than I, the other four years younger. But I had known them. Now, both of these little churches were farther out of Carthage than I lived. I lived about six miles out. And one of these was about 16 miles in one direction and the other about 20 miles in, in another direction. Uh, I'd never been in either church. And suddenly I was the pastor. Now, the county where I grew up was a dry county as far as alcohol sales. There were bootleggers around, but there was no legitimate sale of alcohol in Panola County when I was a boy growing up. And then some infinitely wise legislator down in Austin decided, well, if a county wouldn't vote in alcohol sales and a town wouldn't vote in alcohol sales, then people who wanted alcohol sales could incorporate a new town. And suddenly out in this rural area, 16 miles from a small county seat town, one of my families decided to get people signed up to incorporate their neighborhood. Now, they didn't live close together. I mean, you had to go three miles down one road to get to another house, and two miles down another country road to get to a house, and four miles in the opposite direction. The little map they had drawn was, gosh, awful to get enough people to try to incorporate. But this couple were going around the neighborhood telling all these very poor country people, if we incorporate, you will have city water. You'll have city sewer. Well, it would have cost millions of dollars to reach out to all those different places. That was a smokescreen. One of my members, more than 80 years old, lived right across this little farm-to-market road from the only little grocery store there, and she was frightened to death of what was going to happen. And she said, you've got to go talk to them. And then one of my leading men said, you're the pastor. You've got to go talk to them and tell them this is not right. Now, not only was this a husband and wife and two daughters, but the wife had a sister and her husband and three kids. The average attendance at this small church was 18. They represented nine of the 18. And so I geared up my courage and drove up to their house one Saturday afternoon. The husband was a constable. So far out of town, they needed a constable. He looked like Barney Fife. Okay? He had a big gun that he wore on his leg. Had this big gun for the constable. Big old badge. He loved being the constable. And when I said to him, you were supposed to help us maintain law and order, and you're going to bring nothing but corruption into this little rural area, and you are lying to the people you're trying to convince they should incorporate. He didn't say a word. His wife said, I have been poor all of my life. This is my chance, and you are not taking it away from me. 
Well, our little church went down every one of those roads and told every person what was really happening, and it was defeated. Not only that, in the next election, someone ran against him for constable, and he was defeated, and they became recluses in their own community. It's not just rich people who have trade anything and everything for more. It's poor people as well. This is for all of us. It's for all of us. Let's go to number three. Take hold of the eternal life, the one to which you were called and for which you made the good confession. Okay? The eternal life, not the one that's constantly passing away before our eyes, but those values. Remember Jesus talked about, lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust corrupt and Thieves can break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss and rust do not corrupt and people cannot break in and steal. And this author is saying a similar thing. Take hold of the eternal life um, for which you've already made the good confession in front of many witnesses, it says. So what is our confession week after week? Uh, we use different affirmations of faith. We are a confessional church. Uh, Mary Ann led us a few minutes ago in one of our creeds, the Apostles' Creed. And so we talked about our belief in God, our belief in Jesus Christ, our belief in the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. But we do believe in the forgiveness of sins, the grace of God that sets us right with God again. This is our confession. We believe we are worshiping the one true God and that this God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus and that through this Jesus Christ we see the face and the heart of God and discover if we've never known before we can trust God. God wants good to come to us, grieves with us when bad things are happening to us, will be with us every moment of our lives all the way to the judgment. He will. I was at our Jewish Christian Dialogue group. I've been a part of this group for more than 25 years. We've had a few that are no longer in the group. Three out of those who first joined more than 25 years ago have died. And a couple more have been transferred from Oklahoma to other parts of the country. So we've gradually had a little infusion of new blood, but most of us have been together for 25 years. And we know each other well. We've read a lot of things together. We've discussed a lot of different writings. So in our most recent uh, discussion, I was looking around the table at those who were there that day. We had a Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Southern Baptist, Jewish rabbi, one United Methodist, one Mormon. Pretty diverse group. And we're all talking about what we believe is the clearest revelation of God we've ever received. How has God chosen to reveal himself most clearly? And after we had all voiced an opinion, sometimes two or three, our Unitarian brother, Dr. Levenhaar, use this analogy and I want you to hear it he said can we imagine that we're all in some big beautiful place 
let's imagine the Vatican, okay? uh, the Basilica in Rome. Uh, we're in St. Peter's magnificent church. And all along the walls of this great church are little chapels. On big high holy days, the Pope himself says Mass, and only he at the beautiful biggest altar created by Bernini. It's really magnificent. Only the Pope is allowed to say Mass at the Bernini altar. But any number of Catholic priests have had the opportunity to say Mass in these smaller chapels along the walls. And in each one of those smaller chapels, there is religious artwork, stained glass. So Dr. Levenhar was saying, can we agree that all of us are in one big, beautiful church or temple? And yet we all worship in a different chapel in that building. And that each of us uh, goes to a place where we have religious symbol, a stained glass. And light comes through that stained glass to our faith community. We all believe it's the same God whose light is shining through our window. We know each other well enough and respect each other enough that each is not trying to get the other to move to his chapel. We go to different faith communities week after week. One day, the Supreme One will let us know who was closer to the real truth than another. But in the meantime, can we not judge the validity of each other's revelation by how we treat each other? Uh, that's what our Christian scriptures say. How can you say that you love God whom you've never seen and not love your brother or sister whom you have? Marlon went on to say, I see your faith communities, this group gathered there, doing good in Tulsa, doing good in Tulsa County, doing good things in Oklahoma. I see others who say they're worshiping the same God we are, who teach hatred, bigotry, prejudice, who believe their job is keeping certain groups and certain people out instead of letting any and all of God's children in, can we say that we will validate our faith, the chapel where we worship, by the way we treat each other? Number four, tell the rich, don't be haughty. Now, you and I represent many different neighborhoods in northeastern Oklahoma. We have people who drive 25 and 30 miles every Sunday morning to get here, and that many miles home again, of course. Um, we have visitors who come from surrounding communities, and I call them, invite them, come back again, come back again. Worshiping here at Boston Avenue is worth a drive in, 20, 25, 30 miles. It's worth it. Drive. Drive and come and be with us. Okay? Uh, we need you to come and be a part of us. Uh, the diversity in our congregation is wonderful. This morning I looked at our chapel choir. It's a big, wonderful group and they sing really well. Uh, 
Our youth department here has young people from 16 different high schools. Our middle school, 17 different middle schools represented in our youth department this year. They're screaming at each other on Friday night. They have to sit down in the same Sunday school class on Sunday morning. Sing in the same choir. Wear robes identical to each other while they sing. That's healthy. That's good. That's very good. So we think he, she, richer than I am. And we can always find them who are. No matter the car we drive, no matter how big the boat we buy, no matter how many bedrooms in our house, somebody has more. You can be sure, somebody has more. But you and I need to look at the bigger picture. All of the studies say that if you have a bank account and you have any money in it this morning, you're in the top 2% in the world. You are the rich to whom this author is speaking. All of us are the rich to whom this author is speaking. Don't be haughty. Don't be haughty. Be generous and learn to share. That's his advice. Be generous and learn to share. Many of you will remember when Dr. John Claypool came to give our Barton Clinton Gordy series. It's already been 10 years. He's died since then. He was an Episcopal rector, as you recall, from St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Birmingham, Alabama. He was wonderful. Of all the speakers we've had, we've not had one yet who had his or her remarks requested by more than John Claypool. He really struck a, a note with all of us. You remember he began that Sunday morning by saying, there's some who say as long as there's life, there's hope. I'm going to try to prove to you in four sermons that where there is hope, there is life. Where there is hope, there is life. But on one occasion, John was speaking to a big group of Methodists in Nashville, Tennessee. And he concluded his remarks on that occasion by telling a story from the rabbinic tradition, good rabbi story. A rabbi said once upon a time there was a mother and father who had two sons. They were farmers. They had a good farm. And when mother and father died, they left the farm to the two boys. The two sons talked it over and decided they would not split the farm. They would farm together and divide the produce in half. In time, one of the sons married. He and his wife had seven children. The other son never married, had no children. Year after year, they farmed together. They divided equally the produce. Each had his own home. Each had his own granary. One night, the single brother was about to go to bed when he suddenly thought, it is not fair for us to divide the produce equally. My brother has a wife and seven children he's trying to feed. He needs more. And so he went out to his granary, loaded the three biggest bags he thought he could carry, and in the dark took them over to his brother's granary and emptied them in. The next night he did the same, and the next night the same. One night the other brother was getting ready to go to bed when suddenly he thought, it is not fair to divide the grain 50-50. 
I have a wife and seven children to look after me in my old age. My brother has no one. He needs more. And so he went out to the granary, loaded the three biggest bags he thought he could carry, and took them over and dumped them into his brother's granary. And so night after night they went. And then one night they met. And when each realized what the other was doing, they fell into each other's arms. And the rabbi said there was a tear that dripped all the way from heaven that two of God's children had decided there's enough for everyone if we share.